I'm in a bad way, Father. No, I'm not putting you on. The truth is, I've been in a bad way for a long time. Not wanting to do anything. Feeling of nothing being worthwhile. A sense of disassociation. Detachment. I had a wife and kids. They meant nothing to me. I have money. It means nothing to me. I have life. It means nothing to me. Where do you think it comes from? Sense of detachment. From nowhere. From nowhere. podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello and welcome back to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week And especially this year, we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the Fear of God podcast. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse. And guys, typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And he was here a minute ago, but he was... He was acting kind of saucy and he was he was like, "I, I know what I'm like when I get going, hell's bells, mama. And then he sauntered off camera. I don't know that I've ever seen Reed quite like that hopefully he'll be back maybe in a similar mood i don't know we'll find out together in the meantime allow me to welcome you listeners back into what saves us we are astonishingly nearing the end of the year and of this second of a pair of overarching podcast series we've been in this year. This go-round featuring films and media that nurture your wonder, that invigorate your awe, that enrich your humanity, not to overstate things, but that are saving you now. Last week, we were all blessed. Blessed, I say, with an amazing trio of incredibly capable podcasters, Asia, Vera, and Jess, for our first ever episode featuring neither myself nor Reed. The ladies discussed Roberto Benini's Life is Beautiful and did a bang-up job, if I do say so myself. This week, we are heading to County Sligo with John Michael McDonough's arresting Brendan Gleeson vehicle 
Calvary. But I'm getting ahead of myself because here at The Fear of God, we explore. We don't explain, except for right now when I explain that you can find every fog and fear of God thing imaginable at thefearofgodpodcast.com, including essays, team bios, episode archives, merch. Read! (laughs) (laughs) Hey, buddy, you were... You were lighting it up a minute ago. Uh, you know what? I I wish the I wish the uh, listeners could have seen or heard you. Yeah, I almost joined the video feed without my shirt on, but thought you know that's a bridge too oh, far. That would have, yeah, no. I mean, no, is it? You know, no, it's we're five years in. No, Reed. nobody think, wants to see that. That's just not all bets and all shirts are off at this point. We <laughs> <laughs> so I'd yes. like to point out that was a pretty good impression I did. I was kind of proud of that. It moment. was. That was it was. Good. You should feel yeah. proud of yourself for that one. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I mean, if you're not? gonna pick things. To feel proud of. Put that near the top. Oh, well, you know what's funny about Calvary is there's so little like uh, yeah to really like you know make light of. I didn't know I where like, you were. Okay, yeah, I didn't know yeah, where you were sure. going to go. He was off uh, killing a dog. He was off uh, you know you know uh, burning down burning a church, church. You know, like he was. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. No, I'm I'm really happy. He's with, off eating somebody. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I mean, like the the prisoner. Sure. Right? Yeah. Yes. I'm just saying. Yes. I'm, I'm just, just saying. Yeah. It's dark, man. It's dark. Super, I had to find something dark. moderately yeah. light. So here we are. <laughs> and the moment is ruined. Um, so, yeah. Read. So I don't know. You might have some business time I'm not aware of, but mm, no, I don't. it feels it feels important to 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 mark a line in the sand of mm. pre-life is beautiful fo- uh, fear of God era. Yes. And post-life is beautiful fear of God era. Yes. What in the world? That was amazing. That, they just. Yes. They came to our houses, they knocked us out cold, they, and they took the mics. It was crazy. I mean, like, honestly, if it hadn't been such a <laughs> traumatic experience, I think uh, I would just have been, you know, utterly delighted. But, you know, it was, you know, the, being knocked out and tied up in a corner, uh, you know, yeah, honestly, yeah. it would have been better if they'd remembered to cut us loose after they finished. But f- fundamentally, sure, when they finished recording the podcast, it turned into, episode, like, they just, Saw yeah, with me and you they, in the room. Yeah. <laughs> they were just like, okay, <laughs> so, <laughs> have fun for storming the castle. You know, like, that was about... <laughs> <laughs> it was about the end of it. Um, no, I, lo- no. I love it when a joke comes around. <laughs> but no, sincerely, uh, Asia, Vera, Jess, uh, that was just pure delight. Uh, listeners, if you have not checked that out, last week's episode was uh, San, Reed, and Nathan. It was without us, and it was with uh, a trio of some of our favorite people in the fog, and uh, you did not want to miss it. It's a really, really delightful episode. So, yes, thank you very, very much again, ladies, uh, for taking good care of the show and for having such a heartfelt and wonderful conversation about a really wonderful film. So, yes, that, that was great. Um, I think my only thing that I would include before we get into it is, Nathan, ha- happy Thanksgiving. This is our Thanksgiving week episode. So, what? yeah, happy Thanksgiving. You know, it's been a tough week. Uh, I mean, not week. It's been a tough year. Um, you know, I would say perhaps marginally better than 2020 in a lot of ways, but... Um, it's been, you know, challenging in in a lot of other sure. ways, and uh, but there there is much to be thankful for. So, I mean, before we get into TV guideposts, like what, you, what what's something you're thankful for? What's something you're thankful oh for? Oh my this gosh! Year? Yeah, it's it just it, yeah. You just yeah. I just I mean I just did that. You, I threw a grenade you, in a backpack and I handed it to you. Oh, well, not really. It's just like a. <laughs> it just smells of stuffing and gravy in the backpack. Mm, but you handed it to mm. me and it's kind of sopping. I'm like, well, I'm not totally sure what to do with this in the moment because like, I didn't know you're handing handing it like to a me. turkey bomb. Yeah. Um, why don't you go first, Reed? Because <laughs> wow. I, I okay. need a moment to think. All right. Well, I'll tell you one thing that I'm very thankful for. This is going to feel uh, self-serving and, and gratuitous and on brand. But uh, this year, 
uh, particularly. I'm very, very thankful for the FOG community. This year, we've gotten to mm. connect with them in ways that we haven't even in five years of podcasting. We've gotten to speak with them, converse with many of them uh, in extended ways, and um, that has meant a lot to me. Um, obviously, this show, which... Uh, started and and forever will be a document of your and my friendship, but but broadening it out to the fog community, I feel like even across the miles, people that I've never been in the same physical space with, I I count now as friends, and uh, my life is enriched and and uh, heightened as a result of that, and so I'm really really thankful for that. So uh, perhaps most relevant to the show, although there's many other things I could mention as being thankful for, I'll say I'm really really thankful for the fog community. Uh, we love you all, and yeah, that's just uh, I'm I mean that from the overflow of my heart, sincerely. I agree. <laughs> All right, Ben Affleck. <laughs> um, you know, I, you, you, you did not, uh, I didn't prep, prep you. me whatsoever. No, I so I really am trying not to sound, you know, like, Oh, well, I've had a successful year at work. That feels stupid. Um, though, though it that's is not stupid. You've worked really hard. I, I know, I know, I know, I know. I just, I just mean like, no, I get it. Self-serving get it. in a certain way. But I think in some ways I'm just, you know, if you let it, the world can be a very dark place. Uh, and I think it takes a little more work sometimes, especially the older we get, to ensure that it isn't only the darkness that we're conscious of. Mm-hmm. And so I think uh, literally today, my 11-year-old was able to get her first COVID shot. Mm. And I just think that specific instance of a broader picture of, you know, hopefully turning a particular corner uh, in terms of the challenge that has been these last 18 plus months, you know, sure, there's a world where you can get two lakhs. And I understand that. But but at the same time, a sense of quote unquote normalcy, whatever that might have been or was, uh, it is nice to have at least a modicum of ease and restfulness as you just go about living your life, you know? Right. So yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess I'm just kind of thankful for what might be an end to, or a, or a diminishing of a very challenging season of everyone's life. Certainly, certainly agreed and understood. Um, so yes, ha- happy Thanksgiving, everybody. This episode will yes. drop our, our Thanksgiving wherever you are, wherever you go for <laughs> What's Thanksgiving. What's so funny? What's yeah. so funny, Reed? I'm sorry to cut no, you off in the middle of your glorious moment there because I'm going to feel really bad now that it, now that I've done it. <laughs> but what's funny is what you don't know because I'm sure you and I've talked about it off pod here and there over the past few years. My wife and I have developed this really weird relationship with Thanksgiving, and so it's oh, just no. become this really like, yeah, yeah, not not the act of giving thanks, not that, sure, but sure, the holiday itself and its and its sordid history. And so when you're like Thanksgiving, I'm like, oh, oh, like yeah. oh, you know, <laughs> in the dive bomb. <laughs> yes. So I'm trying to temper. How dark do I go here? You like, know? <laughs> well, I'm thankful it's not the hellscape that it was. You know, like oh, yes. yes all yeah. <laughs> I'm yes. Like, anyway, so I'm sorry to be Debbie Downer <laughs> no, right at the top not, of the episode before we even started. You're not. No, I I, I will say this. Like uh, in the spirit of what uh, Peter Laws on Creepy Cove will often say in his times of reflection and everything, it's like, look, whether you like the holiday or not, whether you're into this or not, it, it can be helpful to take a moment and and turn Indeed. and turn your heart towards gratitude whatever complications challenges family dramas traveling dramas whatever that is so so wherever you are right now 
Listeners, if you're listening to the sound of our voice, we are thankful for you because you are taking time to spend time with us, Amen. and that means something to us. So we are thankful for you, and we hope that you can find something truly and sincerely to be thankful for yourself and whatever this holiday. It may bring tension. It may bring drama. It may bring complications, but we really, really hope that it brings a certain measure of gratefulness and joy, uh, and, and I think uh, we say that sincerely. So, uh, yes, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Um, and with that... <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to welcome you to Hashtag TV Guideposts, where we are diving back in, after a brief hiatus last week, to Ted Lasso Season 2, specifically Episodes 5 and 6, called Rainbow and the Signal. And we are going to dive into that right now on this week's Hashtag TV Guideposts. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, so, we're back in the thick of it. Uh, you mind if I kick things off? Go for it. Okay, so this one, I know we've been tracking the evolution of Nate Shelley as a character. Mm-hmm. This one featured what I registered as the first noticeable slight so the first thing that I, as trying to objectively observe what happened, the first thing that I would point to where, if I could see the writing on the wall, I would have told Ted, like, hey, uh, be careful about that, because that's awful. Um, and that's when Nate says, in response to, hey, he needs a big dog to talk to him. Like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. then Nate says, I'll do it. Talking about Isaac. Isaac McAdoo is kind of stuck inside right. his own head. He said, we need a big dog to talk to him. Nate says, I'll do it. And Ted laughs. And it's very, very clear that this hurts Nate's feelings. Um, but that, as I'm tracking it, appears to be the first visible, notable slight that Ted actually does. More will come, but that appears to be the first moment where I'm like, ooh, yeah, that, mm, mm, that that's a little that's a little difficult. And so, yeah, it's just, it, 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 it's really kind of difficult to know like what all is happening there because I know what, what good people these all are. And I, and I also know like it's really tough with Nate, you know, given some stuff that we find out this episode and next episode about uh, his father, you know, because this is the first episode featuring kind of a full plot line around Nathan as a character. And that's when he's yeah. trying to get the window table the at the yep. you know taste of Athens, um, and so yeah, it's just uh, that that really re- uh, registered to me. This whole episode struck me differently this time because the first time I watched it, I considered it a triumph of Nathan coming into his own, and now I see it much more s- somewhat uh, tragically as uh, a, a harbinger of things to come that are not so pleasant and not so easily embraceable. But um, but yeah, yeah, I, I, I've, yeah, I've got a weird relationship with season two that isn't totally ironed out on this second viewing that so this i will not spoil directly what happens here and what happens in the end here but it's interesting read that there's kind of two things that significantly happen with nate in the finale one is an outburst one is a, a sort of change and the change i think is pretty perfectly tracked I do still, and and maybe by the end I'll come around some, I do still tr- struggle with how strong the outburst is mm, mm. 
Like I'm not, I'm still not quite there of like, okay. Cause like I can rationalize it intellectually. Sure. Like I see yes. yeah. what you're after. And the, and again, I do think the change I'm referring to of these two prongs of his out of the outcome of this character, the, the, uh, that tracks pretty directly. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, there's a very straight line here. And is, and is not though kind of tragic is not an unnatural direction given what we're seeing sure. if you're playing it out on, if you're playing it out, honestly. Yep. Understood. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas the outburst, I'm still kind of struggling with, not because the recipient of the outburst is a fan favorite, but just because I just can't tell yet if that is entirely as earned as the change, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to the finale there. And, mm. and cause what is funny, like you probably now too, I mean, I make very specific, okay, there's, there's an eight moment. There's an eight moment. And, and it's, it's kind of hard because, Season one, Nate kind of is the uh, punching bag's too strong a word, but he kind of is the the jokey character that no one ever took seriously, and then suddenly is in a sort of raised up role. Yeah, right. right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think I still feel it like it's I- I'm torn. On the one hand, it's really smart from a creative standpoint. On the other hand, it's such a risk from a creative standpoint. Cause you are, you're basically saying the tapestry of our show, which is sitcom flavored. Mm-hmm. We're going to, we're going to take this pretty seriously also. Yeah. And yeah. does that make sense? And, it and, does. and that's it, what I'm saying. It's, it's like, it's okay. And it's a smart play. It's also a risky play because I'm still kind of struggling with, okay, well, wow. Yeah. Then maybe we are all jerks, <laughs> well, <laughs> you know? So let's, so taking the baton from what you said about the substance of the outburst and admittedly, so I'm, I'm about to do a thing or about to, oh about to say a thing. Um, listeners who are tracking with Ted Lasso season two, if you are watching this as the episodes are progressing, meaning you have not seen past five and six at this point, um, then you might want to be aware. I'm about to spoil something. From the from the very end, I intentionally didn't. But go ahead. <laughs> but I, it just because it, it's relevant to what I'm yeah. uh, trying to say elsewhere. Um, if you have already seen all of season two, which that's probably most of you, then this will come as no surprise. And I'm not going to talk about the substance of it. I'm just going to say who the outburst was towards, and and then I'll talk about what is revealed in this episode that made me more understanding of oh that's where it happened was um, so that the outburst. Again, this is the spoiler, everybody, if you're just watching season two as we will. Um, at the end, Nathan goes off on Ted um, and says some very, very hurtful things to Ted. Um, and there is no nice, neat little bow at the end of season two where they make up. They, it, it is very, uh, it's a very painful scene to watch. It's very difficult. And this is the episode watching it through. And the reason that I'm bringing all of that up for context is because in this episode, we not only see... That moment that I referenced where he said, oh, big dog, and Nathan says, I'll do it. Yeah, for sure. But yep. the big dog he's referring to is Roy. And right. and the show is very deliberate when Roy, and this is skipping over some interior of the episode things that I definitely want to mention, but at the end, when Roy comes, and it's very clear Roy's going to join coaching staff, the camera lingers on Nathan long enough to know, okay, that that's the moment where the domino fell, to use Ted's language from last season. At that moment... I think, though none of us knew it at the time, I think Nathan feels betrayed at that moment because he's on the coaching staff and he's doing... And, and even in the next episode that we're going to talk about, uh, episode six, there's this whole thing about like, oh, who's going to run practice? 
and right and nathan's like whoa good i'll I'll run practice and he's like oh ted asked roy to do it so like roy definitely steps in there's a later moment where there's an active like sidestepping nathan goes to hug ted ted does not hug him he pats him on the shoulder and then steps forward to hug roy so so there's a lot of that that moment and so and so that's why i'm you know sort of calling it out as and specifically is that what i observed about Nathan's response to Roy's presence in these pair of episodes really substantiated much more for me. Like, okay, that's where the homework is done. These are the moments, and that a lot of it centers around sure. Roy being yes. there. Um, and yeah, and yeah, the 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 snowball is rolling down the hill and is gaining steam for sure. Yeah, and 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 again, th- there may be a world where intellectually I can see it all and just emotionally still kind of struggle with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and, and I'll kind of see how that plays out as we reach the end of the season. Um, because even I'm not positing this as a, as a, Hey, this is what I think. And it's a legitimate criticism. Mm -hmm. It's more just a, there are times I wonder, is it too subtle what (laughs) they're doing? Like, and, and again, it's more just pondering. Right. Right. Because, because subtle is smart is too subtle, too smart. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's a moment when Nate is in the restaurant, when he's asking about the table the first time by himself. I don't know if you've caught this. He's watching Roy on the, the sports center show Mm -hmm. and Roy has a run at one of his colleagues on the show. Like, up upbraids him as only Roy Kent can. Right. And Nate really laughs at it. Yep. He mm-hmm. he gets it he gets a charge out of it. And you just see that moment, you're like, damn, he is he's he sees and maybe envies that kind of ability. Yeah. And, oh, and absolutely. so again, I, I I'm affirming what the show does in terms of the building blocks. Mm-hmm. And and like I said, the outburst you just referenced directly uh is is the the you can toggle between that and kind of what, where he lands for the season, where he lands for the season, I think is very much kind of earned. And I may get to the outburst is also earned. I'm not quite there yet. Yeah. And that makes sense. Um, One other thing, because you mentioned the moment in the restaurant when he's watching the television, he says, I know Roy Kent. And what does Jade, the waitress ask back to him? She says, is Is he here? No, she says, is he your dad? And I thought, oh, and, and I thought well, that was a pretty interesting line in light of the whole, yeah, like, because we yeah. know that Nathan has these dad issues, which play into a lot of his insecurities. And he has come, I think it's fair to say from last season, to see Ted as a kind of father figure. And so it all is kind of, now, I don't disagree. There is a real question on the season of how subtle is too subtle and is too subtle a good thing? Like, I, I definitely see your point. Watching it this second time through, man, I'm literally like, you know, in the writer's room, that was a deliberate line. When she says, is he your dad? Yes. You know, like, that's going to thematically tie into all this dad stuff that everybody's got going on in it. And, And so, again... Roy being there and he can, and and if I'm, if I'm going with where Nate mentally is headed, Roy doesn't have to earn his place. Everybody knows Roy Kent deserves to be on the pitch. He's here. He's there. He's every F and where they ever, they they know that Roy Kent deserves to be there. But Nathan feels this very much like, I think it's really telling, although (laughs) to, to briefly mention a comical moment, uh, I think one of the 
one of the pure delights of this episode or of this of the show is when Rebecca reveals her I get make myself big moment and then she yeah, Oh, it's so good. It's so fantastic. It's so and she makes herself huge. And then I love that Keely under her breath is like, You're amazing. Let's invade France. <laughs> You're amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's go invade France. But I think it's tempting. <laughs> Let's go invade France. I didn't know that's what she said. <laughs> she said Let's go invade France. Um, <laughs> but I, like I think it's really telling that when Nathan makes himself big, he looks in a mirror and oh, yeah. spits at yes. it. And and that, to me, is very smart from a character perspective about the self-loathing. And that is really right. the war inside of Nathan's heart. The war inside of Nathan's heart, as I have, have grown to have more empathy for his plight and for his change, is he is desperate for somebody to tell him that he deserves to be there. He's desperate for somebody to tell him that he has earned this place. And he felt, I think, that Ted was that person. That Ted sure. th- that Ted is going to like, oh man, like you deserve to be here, whatever. But now he is going to, he has in this episode and the next episode and will continue to now have to earn his place with Ted. And I think that is a bridge that he can't cross mentally. Well, and it's more the having thought you had earned it. Mm, yeah. And then mm-hmm. Roy being asked back. Yeah. Kind of sublimates absolutely its role. And and so and again, I, I'm I'm honestly not even kind of critiquing his arc so much anymore. I, I think it's this weird feeling like I keep trying to come up with a good analogy. And it's like, imagine the Simpsons mm-hmm, mm-hmm. taking Homer's neuroses and pathologies and suddenly honoring them in a real way. Uh-huh, <laughs> and you're like, right, right, Oh right. my gosh, yeah, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are we doing here? You sure, know, what you think sure. is just the architecture of a sitcom structure mm-hmm. suddenly is being honored, which, which again is fair and is yeah. ballsy. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. So what about, what about Rainbow else? Which I, I, I do want to throw out. I'm yeah, sorry, real quick. We've, yeah. we've hung out. We've hung and out. And I have two things to Nate. mention about it, but yeah. Uh, we've hung out with Nate. I've got to throw some love at. She told me to expect a mustachioed surprise that would anger me. I was expecting Wario. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a great line. Oh, God. There's another line oh, right in that so scene good. where he talks about, like, this is my like my church. And then Ted says, yeah. who knew transubstantiation could happen with a pita? <laughs> Just, yeah. it's so great well, oh. why won't you let me be happy <laughs> <laughs> he's like well, well then <laughs> no, good, no it's it, just he's, it. it's, it's like well this is ruined for me <laughs> yeah, no, this, this place is this ruined, place now. Is ruined <laughs> now oh my god it's so great it's so great but i love too because you know the whole reason that ted is there is to ask roy to come and help with isaac and he does want right. roy to come back as a full coach capacity I love to, you know, Ted in the early stages of this episode said, you know, I believe in communism, rom communism, you know, and uh, and then there's obviously it's very overt. I mean, you want to talk about not subtle are the romantic comedy, you know, call outs and allusions and everything. Um, But, uh, you know, when when he's like, Roy's like, I have to go. (laughs) And then just gets the nod. And then like the big run to the airport, you know. Well, before even that, it's not the airport, but the uh, in most rom coms, it's the he's calling out. Yes, yes, yes they're yes, about to take a flight. I've got to um, run to the airport. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but the you know, come on, we got to tie it back into uh, Fear of God continuity. Here is uh, Roy yells "f off" to Ted, and he says, "As you wish." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's so great! Oh, that's awesome. Um, now, and I do like they. I will never say 
the creators, producers, writers of Ted Lasso don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the what I wrote, subtle slash clever slash annoying moment where they tease you so bad with Rebecca and Ted texting at the same time. Oh, yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty low. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I get it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. yeah. you're like, what? <laughs> no, <laughs> certainly not. What? Mm. <laughs> yeah. What? Rebecca's no. mystery man. Forky ass a question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but you had me at coach. That's come on, amazing. That's a, you had me at coach. Oh man, it's that so it's so great. Well, even his whole his whole return to the stadium. That's wonderful. I mean, it's that's just yeah, a fantastic it's wonderful. sequence. I love it with the guys at the ticket booth, and then when uh, they're like, uh, you know, prove it. You know, he's like, I'm Roy Kent. You <laughs> know, like prove it. And then when he gets the ticket, and they're like, okay, enjoy the game. And he's like, f off. And then they're like, oh, it is him. <laughs> <laughs> I love to like Reba, Reba McIntyre. Oh man, it's so great. I love to um because we keep bypassing the moment. I think it is so lovely what he does for Isaac in this moment. Like that whole scene, that whole setup is really yeah, great. great. And I love that like they text Roy and it illuminates his face in a very ominous sort of way. Oh, um, that's a fantastic a moment. moment. <laughs> it scares both of them. It's so great. But I do uh I love <laughs> Roy says in that moment where he's where he talks about it, he's like he's like was that too many f's you know like what he was yeah. talking to, he's like yeah it's like the, the nipple, showgirls nipples in showgirls like after a while you're just sort of like whatever <laughs> and then he, you start paying attention to the narrative yeah <laughs> you start paying attention to the narrative but then after that Roy says I dated Gina Gershon once and then Ted's like that makes me happy <laughs> just, yeah. so funny. but um but I love getting back to the Isaac moment like I love it um. Just what a great little life lesson. Just like, you know, hey, you've been given this position of prominence. You're the captain now. But don't forget to just play, just to have fun. I'm you, the captain now. You, you um, Nathan, <laughs> offline had referenced in, in a completely different context that's not worth going into too much. You had referenced like a recent uh, film you had seen where a parental figure had encouraged uh, a, a very successful athletic person to just go and have fun. And what I love so much about the this moment is that that was that really rings true about what Roy gives to Isaac. He's like, hey, just don't forget to have fun. Like this is a game. You enjoy doing right. this, and you're stuck inside your own head. Go have fun. And I just think that's a really charming and lovely uh, uh, thing that Roy teaches him there. And I just think it's uh, yeah. I just think I think that's really wonderful. So yeah, it is. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, the signal? Yeah, let's go on to signal. As we go on to signal, I just want to say that Higgins' relationship is such a delight. That moment when he connects with his wife outside underneath, she's like a rainbow, is just such so lovely. Okay, the signal. We've been, I played that song in the house earlier. Aww. Um, yeah, what you got for the signal? I, I led on the other one. Well, what I got, Reed, is that you're an ugly, ugly boy <laughs> with bad hair. <laughs> it's true. I'm being mature, you big, dumb, hairy baby twat. <laughs> <laughs> we apologize for the uh, fruity language uh, there. Um, um, yeah, this this one is kind of um, framed around Rebecca's mother and her mother's relationship to her off-screen father. Now, something that this season is doing is is broadening the supporting character pool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it's Doctor Sharon, uh, <laughs> whether it's um, Rebecca's mother, uh, Nate's parents. So, so, and uh, you come to meet Jamie's dad more directly. Um, yeah. so it's definitely broadening the supporting character pool, which is kind of cool. 
you mm-hmm. know, to kind of see the show spread its wings a little bit in that regard. Um, it does make me want to go check out the new Brene Brown book, Enter the Arena, but bring a knife. You know, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> it's not a real book. That's so funny. Man, that was so that was such a great call out because it's just like, oh yeah, we're gonna, th- and that would never be a title of Brene Brown book. <laughs> She's much more poetic than that. It would, it would maybe be, it could be, I mean, but the that's, that's the humor but, of it. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I know I've told you this before, but there's been this hysterical and wild meta narrative happening outside the show where she is an an ardent fan and just did some sort of event that she invited Brett Goldstein to. Mm -hmm. And he's Instagramming and tweeting about hanging out with Brene at her Texas Mm -hmm. house Mm -hmm. and how crazy it is. And so anyway, just weird and wild. So funny. Um, Um, All thanks to Ted Lasso. So something that I want to, that you know, this is not in the frivolity, but also not like terribly weighty is I do, I do kind of love and picked up on it more directly this, this watch around was when Roy talks about what Ted has done to Jamie and kind Mm. of the lasso effect as it were. And I just, I find that really, really fascinating because season one leaves you by and large with a whole like, hey, just be kind and everything will be better. And what I love is that like, it is pretty undeniable, I think, given the character arc, that Jamie is a better person. I think that's pretty undeniable. And I think that Ted has a lot to do with that, that he is a better person. He's he's better to his teammates. He's better uh, as a you know just a human being in the world. And in a later episode, he will as much as say that about himself, like he's growing as a person. But he's not as good of a football player. And that sometimes the the lasso effect or the kindness effect, like it has to be a bit nuanced or it has to be a bit tempered. And I love that a show which sort of in season one kicked the door down with hey. Kindness is a thing, and and kind leadership should make a comeback. I love that it also is, again, smart enough to recognize that that has its limits, and more than anything else, that that has its side effects. That, like, yes, a, a, a kinder temperature is going to carry with it some drawbacks. Some of that may be that the bulldog you used to send after people to get stuff done might not be a bulldog anymore, and there's there needs to be some recognition of that uh, in the the Jamie Tart. Uh, like what they need him to do now on the pitch is they need him to be a jerk again. They need him to, you know, absolutely get inside sure. other players' heads, you know. And um, and I just love. I think it's very mature from a writing standpoint for the show to be grappling with that in such a robust way because they really are. They're not deconstructing it. What I love about it is it would have been super easy to just be like, ooh. Ted's not who you thought, and maybe it's not the the best thing in the world for. But they're just highlighting that it can have some ripple effects, and it can have some side effects that also have to be tenderly cared for. And if they're not tenderly cared for, you can get some damage. You can get some, um, you know, whether that be just the damage of Jamie Tart's not the soccer player he once was, or what we're tracking with Nathan. I just really applaud the show for being that holistically understanding about that effect well and and even that whole assessment uh with jamie at its center also illustrates a point when uh set against nate is it's also sort of establishing self-awareness matters Mm -hmm. and that the problem with jamie was never 
his aggression and prickishness on the pitch it was he never knew how to turn it off and he mm. never did turn it off right mm. and so the show is showing you hey you know there's a place for these types of energies yes mm. and there's a place for not them mm -hmm. and you know the 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 arc you're seeing manifest in nate is a total lack of self-awareness yeah of what right. is what is occurring inside of him mm -hmm. and that's mm -hmm. that's kind of the 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 tragedy of the whole thing right is yeah. he can't recognize he's got the tiger by the tail and and just won't let go mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. it's it's gonna run him off the cliff yeah but um, absolutely i did i feel like there was a oh this this also this episode does culminate um two pretty key elements that become central uh elements of the more or less the rest of the season uh one is the wonder kid yes uh, which yes. which is both both humorous and sad all at once mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh and the and the other is if we can walk this direction uh, uh ted's panic attack yes in the yeah. middle of the game mm -hmm. and um I, i'm open to going ahead into the final scene but if you've got more stuff you want to pick up uh, i mean we can't we can't ignore what the signal is which is pretty incredible it's like it's, roy says jamie's not who you need him to be on the pitch anymore because you've softened him up yes i've got a signal well what is it you'll know it when you see it okay <laughs> and then they all flip him off <laughs> so great and, and and i love that sudeikis and uh, you know you gotta imagine this is an in the moment uh day of thing i don't know if you caught this he's hiding his middle finger behind yes, his jacket i did yes, uh, yes attempting to have it just so jamie can see it but you so know it's not going to be successful there it's so but no funny. that's a fantastic uh, a fantastic sort of climax no, there. i love that and no uh, i didn't have anything else uh, that's apart from what you mentioned about like ted's panic attack and we can go to the final scene it is worth noting because this does become a thing later that Rebecca's mystery man, who was introduced in uh, Rainbow, is oh, yeah. now revealed yep. to be Sam Obisanya, um, and uh, we will get into all of that uh, in future episodes. But uh, but yeah, let's talk about let's talk about Ted's panic attack. Let's talk about the Nathan parking the bus and the Wonder Kid and the final scene. Yeah, I mean, I, I think yeah, Nate, you just you wish. At every turn, you wish like, okay, this is not a bad thing, but God, you're absorbing it the total wrong way. Yeah. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's like, mm -hmm. like these little moments that in and of themselves are not problems, but it's, it's Keely saying problems are like mushrooms. You know, you leave them in the shadows and they grow. Uh, yeah. and, and that is absolutely what, what happens to this character in the course of this season. Absolutely. But yeah. Ultimately, you know, Ted, whom we've gotten the impression even hinted at in season one, but more directly a couple of times in season two, his distance of the idea of therapy yeah, uh, kind of comes full circle with the end of this episode. He has his panic attack, exits the field, uh, kind of can't be found. There's this real lovely uh, sequence of Rebecca seeking him out and finding his jacket. It's, it's really kind of heartbreaking mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that culminates. And honestly, they do a great job. I mean, you don't forget, but you almost forget. Like, what are we? Where is Ted? Oh, you know what I mean? Like right. they yes. they, mm -hmm. they throw a number of kind of scenes in there towards the end to start to pad out that mm -hmm. final run, uh, but that ultimately culminates with Sharon going into her office and being alarmed to find Ted there, who's yeah, uh, whose line is the final line of the episode, and he just says, "I want to make an appointment." He is clearly 
wrung out yeah uh, right from his thing and i gotta admit you know for all of my uncertainty about certain elements of season two re-watching this particular episode that particular scene i got i got pretty emotional just yeah. kind of moved mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. you know because they do a great job of just hanging on him yeah like right. I don't know if you remember that mm-hmm. like he says the line and then it just holds yeah for, exactly i don't know five seven seconds or so mm-hmm. no uh i mean yeah. just just yes and amen to all of that i think that the the thing that is so powerful about we mentioned last season because ted had a panic attack right after you know like while they were in karaoke with the whole um you know the night he signed his divorce papers and everything so he had a panic attack then um so they've it's not as if this is completely out of the blue but this is the first time that it's been seen by anybody other than rebecca and i do think that it was it was so lovely that rebecca went looking for him as you mentioned um and i feel like it can be such a hard thing when Ted has landed on a place where he's fairly convinced he knows what needs to be done and how to navigate the world. And part of what makes that final moment so emotional is it's not just Ted admitting he needs help, which he's happy to do in other contexts. He knows he needs help to run a football team in England. He knows he needs help with that. He knows he needs help understanding, you know, he's asked for help in a number of other things, but this is the first time that he's tried to figure out that he needs help in how to navigate his own life and how to just keep control of his own emotions. That's a huge step for him. It's a huge step for many, many people who don't necessarily believe that therapy is going to be a good thing, who don't necessarily believe that it's going to work or that they're going to be up to the challenge. And, um, and so, yeah, it's, um, it's it's pretty it's pretty potent. Um, I don't have much more to add besides that, but we'll see it play out over the course of the next four or five episodes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm just glancing at my notes real quick. I don't think I had anything else. Uh, I, I, yeah, we've already mentioned the thing that uh, not only does Jamie Tart actually get his groove back, but man, that's a really outstanding kick. Like from almost mid court, he oh, kick, yeah, kicks yeah, the yeah. goal. That's just really really incredible. Oh, and oh, gosh, I can't believe we, uh, the Higgins and Beard, like, uh, Beard is back with Jane, and Higgins trying to figure out, it was such a lovely moment between the pair of them. Uh Like, he's like, I get it. Thank you. Let's never speak of this again. We'll never speak of this again. It's so great. No, it's so great. So, uh, so yeah, I'm fine to take us out, if you want. Want me to? All right. Go for it. Ladies and gentlemen. Comes in color everywhere. We are to the tune of the Rolling Stones' Rainbow. We are going out because here at the show, we believe in rom-communism. Things always kind of work out in the end. We don't really know how they will, but they will. And uh, So tune in next time where we go back to Ted Lasso Season 2 for the next two episodes, Episodes 7 and 8, on next week's hashtag TV Guideposts. Mm. All right. I don't, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so, okay. Um, okay, so let's, let's, let's dive in. So, um, the film we are covering today is a film called Calvary, starring Brendan Gleeson, and also featuring a host of wonderful character actors, including Lord Baelish, which uh, I was like, oh, wow, yeah, there's that. Um, I, can, can I say something real quick? Uh, 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 sure. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. I, I don't... I bless his heart 
I haven't thought like how how there's no world where Aiden Gillen is going to listen to this episode, but <laughs> I just I struggle with that dude. Everything he's ever in, I'm like, dude, you're he is maybe he's just a really good actor <laughs> at being an utter terrible person. Like I feel like every time he's in something, I'm like. That is a weird vocal delivery dialect you got going on. And what a turd. Like, he cannot escape the what a turd That's, uh, uh, assessment uh, of his characters. Understood. Understood. Um, anyway, no, no, it's okay. Um, written and directed by John Michael McDonough. Um, Calvary. John Michael Montgomery. Yeah. Life's a dance. You learn as you go. Sometimes you leave. Okay. So... Um, <laughs> Wow. <laughs> hey, listen. Wow. So that happened. That did happen. Um, so uh, Calvary is a film, like before we dive into it, this was a film that was submitted to us by listener Caleb Stallings. And um, Caleb shared uh, some brief thoughts with us, which we are going to let him take away right now, and then we'll dive into the film. So Caleb, why did you submit Calvary to us? Take it away. Hey, Reed and Nathan. My name is Caleb, and my What Saves You movie pick is Calvary from 2014, directed by John Michael McDonough. Now, as a pastor, this movie does a bit of both scaring and saving for me. It scares me in the sense because it reminds me, what if I'm held accountable for the sins of my theological or ecclesial forebears? Or questions like, do I have the courage to confront injustice, to converse with apathy, or to comfort the grieving? But ultimately, I think it also saves me, too, because pastoral ministry isn't about being right or enough or really about me at all, but about being faithful to love and give to other people. So I can't wait to hear what you guys think about it. Thank you so much, Caleb. Yes. Really, really Thank appreciate you, it. Um, so I'll say personally, do you mind if I kick things off? I never do. You never do. Okay. Um, I had a short list of things that I potentially wanted to cover as my what saves us entry and um calvary was on my short list of three or four films that was like okay maybe maybe calvary so caleb uh first of all i just want to thank you for taking this off the uh, the board so that i could pick <laughs> something else and uh, we could still talk about it um i saw calvary i heard about calvary through the myriad of, hey, this is what this actor's working on. This is what this director's working on. Like just the little uh, bits and blurbs that you see um, if you're circling movie sites on the internet. And so um, I heard about Calvary and I distinctly remember that Calvary came to theaters. I didn't even really know when. It got a video on demand release, presumably, or whatever. But I was at the library. And I do make it some, or did make it uh, pre-pandemic, somewhat of a habit to go to the library and just browse the shelves, uh, both the books, the audio CDs, and the movies to just see like, okay, what's here? What stands out to me? And Calvary was on the shelf, the DVD release. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay, well, that's going home with me. I've, I've, I've heard about this film. I'm intrigued by the title. Let me just take it home and see it. And so I watched it that day and uh that that evening and then i remember this this somewhat rarely happens but i watched it uh, all the way again the very next day because i was so stunned by what i had seen and by what the film had offered and i've now i've now seen the film at least six or seven times um and it has risen to 
be in my top 10 like personal favorite films. It is the most recent film in my top 10 uh, that I would cite personally as like, no, this film has really become very important to me for a number of reasons. So I have to confess offhand both gratitude, which is appropriate on Thanksgiving, towards Caleb for picking this film, but also a very large degree of intimidation because there's so mm-hmm. much to this film. And I know, and let me just say beforehand, uh, before I invite your thoughts and maybe we go into a brief plot summary, that um, that, that I know we're not going to do every element of this film, every avenue of exploration justice, um, because this film is incredibly dense and incredibly rich in its explorations and in its power. And so um, hopefully we will be able to wrangle something down that's that's coherent and understandable. But um, what was your uh, experience slash exposure to this film? I think I remember the story, but in in case I don't remember it correctly. Well, I want to say I saw it with you the first time I saw it, that's a little unfair that's because my memory as well really what it was is you turned it on and i fell asleep um because <laughs> <laughs> you didn't fall asleep through all of it no no no, i did not but this was this was the babadook double double feature right i think but or was that babadook and unfriended that was babadook and unfriended it was the same trip it was the same trip but it was babadook and unfriended that was being viewed for podcast coverage right I just wanted you to see Calvary as just right. let's you and I know me watch that. a movie. Yeah, I know that, but, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I'm saying it was the same trip. Yes, I might be wrong. I think there's a world where I'd already watched Unfriended, and you and I did. Be- the reason we did not watch it the same night. If that's what you're scratching okay. at, Babadook was a singular feature late at night because it was the night I picked you up from the airport. Right. Calvary was the day, either the day you were leaving or the day before you were leaving, and you were on your time zone difference and everything. Oh, and yes. So, yeah, you yes. you definitely had bobbing, but it was during the day when we watched it. <laughs> Even better. I, we remember it differently, but whatever. <laughs> uh, of what time of day it was. <laughs> but nonetheless, yes, I, I I definitely struggled that first viewing. And wanted to just kind of honor my friend's passion for his film, uh, uh, <laughs> and and to what I was able to absorb of it, appreciated. Uh, but not until this week was I really as captivated by it. And I never do this. I've watched mm. it twice this week. Um, oh, wow. mm. Mm. Uh, and I and <laughs> this is going to sound really dangerous. It's not quite as dangerous when it's not your first viewing, but honestly, I watched it once at home late at night, uh, punctuated by weeping and then (laughs) downloaded it to my phone the next day because I knew I'm going to be driving a ton and plugged it in and played it, played the film in the car. Yeah. Um, Listen to it while you're driving. Yeah. 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 And, uh, so, so yeah, have, have absorbed it twice just this week. I've been listening to the soundtrack and, it is, it is interesting. It is challenging. It is arresting. Um, I, it's, 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 it's interesting to have this in such proximity to the mission. They're two mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. different films, um, yeah. after different things, but maybe speaking similar languages, if that makes any mm. sense. Yeah, um, it does. Sure institutional yeah, I, church versus work of Christ. I can absolutely see it. Yeah. I, I've always had a fondness for Brendan Gleeson, uh, but he just, he delivers something very special here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to confess something here 
that okay. because you're my friend, you won't ridicule me too much for mm. this week is literally the first time it ever totally clicked with me that Donald Gleason was Brendan's son. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I, it makes I think that, literal perfect sense. <laughs> yeah, of course. But yeah. It had just not clicked with me. Well, and, and I think this is not now I don't remember what, but I think, I think they have worked together before, like either been on the same film or maybe have had a scene together before. But, uh, but this one, you know, very prominently like father and son sitting apart from one another. And, and well, I'm um, pretty sure this is the first one. I'm pretty sure because I did watch is it? Oh, okay. a bunch of the, so, so <laughs> knowing your love for this film mm. and knowing my sort of vicarious through you love for it, <laughs> or at least appreciation for it, a couple of years ago, I did buy it just on iTunes, knowing oh, I'm going to get to that at some point and get back to sure. it. And kind yeah, of have, right, I mean, right. No clue. We'd end up covering it for the show. Right. Uh, and so I do have, you know, that copy that has some extras on it. I did watch pretty much all the little featurettes that are on there. They're also really lovely, but I'm pretty Which sure. Which are great. It, yeah the Donald says references it being their first oh, time okay. on All screen right. together. I could be you totally and I wrong, remember, but that's, uh, <laughs> I'm not being pretentious here. You and yeah. I remember that differently, but it's not worth like unpacking. Oh. Cause I thought, I thought he said, we, <laughs> no, no, no. I thought he said we've worked together before, but that's completely different. Look, it's a Mandela effect. Like here, here we have it right here. One of us right. is right. Yeah. And it's probably you. Um, but <laughs> the, um, so, so before we dive too deep into the particulars, it's worth stating uh, just a brief summary of the film for people who sure. have not seen it. So um, the film opens in a confession booth, and it opens with, let me tell you, a very... It's rough. A very difficult line, okay? So, like, do not... Uh, if you're, but yes, line two. But yeah, and if you're, if you're watching this movie for the first time, it is possible that the opening line of dialogue and the opening monologue... Uh, might make you think you are not going to be able to tolerate this film. I would, I would immediately encourage you, like just, just sort of move past the first uh, monologue because it details uh, somewhat graphically. Um, uh, Brendan Gleeson, Father James, is sitting in a confession booth, and then uh, a parishioner comes in and tells him, uh, in in unfortunately somewhat graphic detail, um, about uh, sexual abuse that he suffered when he was a child and he talks about this to the priest we never see the person's face but he talks about it to brendan gleason's character and then tells him that he that the the person who abused him is now dead and so he can't do anything about it he can't lodge a formal complaint what good would it do he can't kill this man what good would it do it's already done but that what this person has decided to do is he will kill what he calls, you know, he says killing a bad priest wouldn't do anything, but killing a good one, now that would be something. So he basically tells Brendan Gleeson, I'm going to kill you, Father, because you've done nothing wrong. I'm going to kill you in one week's time. So you have one week to get your house in order and then meet me down on the beach and I'm going to kill you. And I love how Brendan Gleeson responds to it where he says, you have nothing to say. And he says, not at the moment, no, but I'm sure I'll think of something come Sunday week. And so that is the, basically the, the premise of this film is that we then watch as father James played by Brendan Gleeson navigates through a relatively small um, population of characters who all live in this town. And he is, one of their primary 
pastors in the town and he navigates their lives. They have, it's almost like a fable. They all have these very distinct kind of conditions, but they're not necessarily fleshed out characters. They're very much like archetypes, um, representations of characters, but he navigates through each and every one of them, um, all culminating up to a climactic confrontation on the beach where he will either lose his life or not. We'll get to how it ends in just a little bit. Um, but uh, is there, yeah. is, out of curiosity, is there a reason to withhold that? Because I since think you're, since you're summarizing, it. I mean, if you've seen the film, you know how it ends. If you haven't seen the film, then um, you know, then, then go see it and then, come then back. please, yeah, please come see it and or, yeah, please go see it and then come back. Um, so then, yes, uh, now that you've watched it, you now know <laughs> that he uh, that uh, he is killed at the end of the film when the um, person from the very beginning of the film is is uh, revealed. They have an exchange, a very very painful exchange. And then um, Father James is killed. And uh, there is a moment after it that I do want to hold back because I'd like to talk about it when we get to it. But um, but yeah, that you. is Calvary. Um, I I knew from my uh, sleep watch with you <laughs> that Chris O'Dowd was the ultimate antagonist here. Mm-hmm. And so what's unfortunate is I can't remember. Like to you, what, do you have recollection from an initial viewing? Like, does the mystery element work or does it really not matter? I mean, I know ultimately it doesn't matter, but as in like, it's not a thriller, but there is clearly it's meant to be sort of mysterious. He's meant to be you, the viewer, although you've seen it half a dozen times at this point, I've watched Mm -hmm. it two and two and a half. He knows he's, he says he he knows who it is. Yes. He absolutely knows. But I do think that's a really smart bit of production slash scripting that it's withheld from the viewer, you know? And so I uh, guess, yeah. do you remember, were you surprised by the end or had you, is it hard to guess that kind of thing? Um, so I was surprised by it. I don't know if that means that makes it hard to guess. I was surprised by it. And I do think the mystery element of it works. I think yeah. if we knew beforehand who it was going to be, it makes so many of those interactions take on a different sheen. Sure. And I know, or at least my experience of it, even rewatching it, it stands out to me when the pair of them have scenes together. It stands mm-hmm. out to me like, oh, he knows that yeah. this is the man who's threatening to kill him, and this is how he's treating him in this moment. That obviously adds a new layer to it. But for a first viewing, um, and I think just as a as an overall tone for the film, I really like that the film does not lead with showing you like, yes, it is Chris O'Dowd's right, character right. that is that was speaking to him at the very beginning. And... It's worth noting it was not Chris O'Dowd, the actor, in that opening. It's it's a a voice with a face we don't see anyway, but it wasn't even right. Chris O'Dowd's voice that they were using because they really wanted to use a complete air of mystery, which, yes, I do feel works. It It is – it has allusions to Judas where – in the in the Judas narrative from the Bible, Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him long before any of the other disciples did, and so I think there's a little bit of a uh, of a wink and a nod to that element to it, as it were. But I think just as a scripting choice and as a narrative, I think it's pretty profound and works really really well that we know Brendan Gleeson knows, but he chooses not to reveal that to anybody. He chooses not to give anybody a heads up. He doesn't reveal it to. His superior, uh, I don't know if that would be like an archbishop or, or what it would sure. be, but, yeah. um, you know, he, does, he doesn't out him to anybody. And I think part of that, too, 
is I do feel like there's a big part of him throughout the film that hopes and believes, maybe not believes, that hopes he won't go through with it, that sure. hopes Jack will not kill him. Um, and I do think he thinks there is a chance that Jack won't kill him, but he also, I think, determines pretty effectively that it's likely Jack will kill him. Something on this second viewing this week jumped out to me that I imagine you caught, but the first viewing I was confused for a second and the second viewing I was like, oh, okay, I, I really worked to try to figure it out. And when he goes to board the plane, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at my initial viewing, I was like, well, wait, so did he leave? Cause I don't, it's not hyper clear. Oh, the bridge between those moments. But okay. I guess I'm curious of you did was to you, was it just, oh, he opted not to, not to go? Uh, so, yes. The first time I saw it, when he's watching from the tarmac, he's watching the coffin of the, of the, right. The, right. the widow's husband. And then, more than anything, it was the music that clued me in. That it's nighttime, it's dark, he's driving back alone. I knew, even from the first viewing, like, okay, he chose not to get on the plane. Um, well, and, and he's going yes, back. And, and- I would have felt like a jerk if you were like, no, I don't. Cause then it would have felt like I was trying to trap you. That's not the case at all. But when I watched it this time, I was like, oh man, that that's his Gethsemane moment. That is him yes. on the plane. He's because it lingers so long on that coffin and him studying it and, and this mm-hmm. engagement mm-hmm. with death and dying Yeah, uh, yeah. that he can no longer kind of unplug himself from that potential inevitability uh, the next day. Yeah. And I found um, it so I found it so powerful. Like, can we can we linger on that moment for a minute? Sure. Um, because I feel like like one of the things that really stands out to me is, and I'm half a dozen viewings in, but I'm still trying to wrestle down that scene of what goes through his mind in that moment watching that coffin. And to me, where I've landed on it, there's maybe a myriad of different interpretations, but is the line that the widow says to him. So. Um, there are a number of different characters. I have to confess that I don't remember most of their names. So I know them as kind of sure. the job they're, they have or type. the role, yeah. yeah, the type that they have in the story. So this is a woman who, when we first see her in this film, he, uh, Father James, is delivering last rites to her husband who's been in a car accident, and, and it was a drunk driving accident. There, the other people who were drunk um, got – her husband was not the drunk driver, other kids were, and and he uh, is losing his life as a result of it. They interact first when Father James is giving him last rites, but then he sees her again when he's about to leave, and he's kind of resolved, like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go. I'm not gonna let him kill me. I'm gonna just leave town. There's no church left. Uh, the, somebody killed my dog, so I'm just I'm just gonna leave. And so then he sees her, and when he sees her, she talks about how everybody has been really kind to her. And she talks about the feeling of how she won't, she sometimes doesn't feel like she's going to go on or that they think she's not going to go on. And then she says so calmly, but so confidently, but I will go on. I will go on. And that really arrested me very, very much in terms of what might be happening in his heart and mind as he's sitting and watching the, the coffin of her husband waiting to be loaded onto the plane. Um, and just that, that, statement just but i but i will go on um so so anyway i don't have much more to say of it beyond that but but yeah i've got a i've got a a a possible question but it might be better couched in 
uh, in that. So, right. Because perhaps my answer is, <laughs> is on that list. Are you open to go in there or do you yeah, want let, to? Yeah, no, let's, okay. let's go ahead. Uh, take us away, Andrew. That's so right. It's just so right. It's just so right. That's just so All right. So, so go ahead. So I'm curious, Reed. I will say for me, I had a very interesting experience with the first viewing I had this week by myself in the dark, earpod, AirPods in. And, th- and there is, you know, little kind of probably 9, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You know, there's something kind of immersive about that. You're, it's just you and the sounds of the film and the edit, the sound edit, I mean. And, and, and there's a couple of moments where like I tried to describe it to my wife. It's not, it, there, it wasn't a build. It was, mm. it was a, a, a punch of emotion mm. Uh, mm. and, and some strong kind of what might be called weeping in the moment. And, and I texted you, I think late that night or the next day, I can't remember even when I went to bed after I was done, I went to bed. And just laying on my pillow kind of mm. got overcome. Yeah. And mm. and so the question is sort of in the spirit of that's my that's so right. So don't feel like this is not your that's so right. But sure. like what what is feeler to thinker? Mm. What scene in this film does the biggest emotional number on you? Do you think? Or is that would I'm you rather go make with... answer first? Well, I can go with my I can go with my very first answer. If you give me a second, I can somewhat press on it and verify that that is my actual answer. So um, I'll distinguish. If you, if you can go, and then I'll be truthful about whether it was the first thing that came to my mind or if I pressed on it and found a different one. The oh. <laughs> mm. I don't. It's, it's it's funny you mentioned the the kind of cast of characters and their kind of shallowness. And I, it's funny. I honestly don't think, cause what is pretty great about this film is despite pretty two dimensional uh, kind of folks occupying this town, all of the performers bring it their all. And, and, and yeah. none of them, none of them deliver two dimensional performances. Sure. Um, yes. Despite pretty thinly drawn characters, broadly speaking, but I am incredibly moved by the relationship with Fiona played by Kelly Riley. Yeah. Like, like after maybe the first two or three scenes of establishing who she is and their relationship, pretty much any scene they're together, I was just like a mess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the one that has, that has gotten me, there, there are two, but I'll say the, the more, uh, the, her confession is really powerful, but that's actually not yeah. where I want to land, but it does the same, has the same effect where I do want to land is exemplified. Uh, it's the, it's the scene when the two of them, it's, it's their last together scene. Mm. Uh, they do have another phone call, uh, of, of, of sharing the scene, quote right. unquote, but this is their last scene together, uh, physically in the same space. And, and the line that he says to her there are other for no, she says it to him because she's, she's starting to unpack the things she's carried around. Mm, mm. 
And, and he says, well, I never hit you. I wasn't neglectful. And her line is, there are other forms of violence. Mm, mm, mm. And I'm so struck, and this will come up for me in, in a subsequent question to you, but I'm so struck in this film by all the tiny ways we inadvertently commit violence to each other mm. and to ourselves. Mm. And, and to hear this adult daughter who, in that moment, I mean, let's be honest, he's making excuses. Yes. He's saying, right, right. well, I wasn't this thing. Mm-hmm. I wasn't the baseline version that a parent should be to their child. Right. And she says, but there are other forms of violence. Mm-hmm. And and I was just really kind of bowled over. It's a, it's a beautiful scene. That, that so te- so uh, long long winded way of this scene is uh, my that's so right. Um, he yeah. says I was never neglectful. There are other forms of violence. I know there are attempting suicide for one. Oh, I walked into that one. Uh, I, it wasn't intended that way. She said I wasn't trying to hurt you. And he he kind of snaps at her. He says How could it not hurt me? I love you. She says I love you too. Don't doubt that. Mm. And then she kind of challenges his vocational pursuit and he he rebuffs that and it just culminates in this really beautiful him saying i'm still here i'll always be here she says will you and he puts his hand on her chest and says i'll always be here and then puts his her her hand on his and says and you'll always be here it is Mm. it is Mm. insanely beautiful yeah it's lovely that's truly lovely so so yeah kind of my question to you uh uh that was that's my that's all right is that scene in the yeah. film, but um, again, this is not your. That's all right. It's me just kind of asking you, friend to friend. Now yeah. that we both watched the film together, what what kind of strikes you in that particular emotional way, if anything? Yeah. So the so the first thing, the first moment that came to mind, and it, it I've pressed on it a little bit, and I think this is the one that does it because it is a moment that makes me very emotional, and it is pretty subtle because there's a lot going on around it. He's made his way back. It is Sunday morning, and he's about to go and meet. Um, Jack on the beach and he knows he's about to die. But before he does, he looks over at the cliffs one more time and then the other character, the very wealthy uh, mm-hmm. embezzling character, the criminal character comes Fitzgerald. up. Fitzgerald. Yeah. Fitzgerald, yes. And he comes up and this character has been <laughs> t- you know, terrible. like cynical and sardonic throughout the entire film. Literally but, urinates on a piece of art. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, has his number called on it. Like, a couple of times, Father James, like, completely calls him out on it and says, like, I think you're just making fun of me, you know. Um, But then he steps forward and he says, I've been in a bad way, Father. Mm -hmm. I've been, you know, very disassociated. And it's a very humbling moment, but that's that's, that's not the part of the scene that punches me with emotion. He says, I've been in a very bad way. I had a wife and son. My wife and children, they mean nothing to me. I have money. They mean nothing to me. I have life. It means nothing to me. And he says this so directly and honestly. And then it's it's just this, uh, man, it culminates in so much. He says this so heartfelt. And then Father James looks at him and he says, I have to go meet somebody, but I'll call up to the house after and we'll talk. And he says, we'll get you on the right track. It is such a tender, unassuming, I'll call it a shepherding 
moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is such a tender moment. But what gets me and what punches me with emotion, kind of two things. The first thing, an immediate thing, is is the um, Fitzgerald's reaction to when he says that. He looks up and he is so stunned that that was the response he got. And he looks up and he says, thank, thank you, thank you. And you can tell he's a bit overcome. And the weight that it took for him to confess that that's where his heart is at, and then to be met with somebody who's willing to come and sit with him and talk sure. is, is so overwhelming to him. Because as much as may mean nothing to him, he now means something to this person. And of course, I'm also just the rugs pulled out from under me because I know Father James knows there is he at least a large degree yeah. he will not be able to get there. And so he put, but he puts his hand on Fitzgerald's shoulder. He's like, are you okay? You okay? And he says, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's such a real moment. It's such a real right. moment. This man right. has been pretentious and this man has has gotten the better of everybody else who tried to, you know, match wits with him. But in this moment, he is himself, he is real, he is vulnerable, and he is asking for help. And Father James casts all of the things that have come aside, all the insults, everything else. Father James sees him, knows the truth of it, and reaches out to him with tenderness in that moment. And that that moment bowls me over. I think it might be one mm-hmm. of my favorite and most arresting moments in the entire film. It just the 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 way that he responds with just a thank you, thank you. Like all of the facade drops at that moment. I need help. He's promised to help me. And just what a titanic piece of uh you know just an absolutely enormous piece of just pastoral shepherding is what I keep coming back to. It's just like, that's that's what that looks like. He doesn't tell him a line. He doesn't say like, oh, well, you need to just remember this. Just keep this. He doesn't give him a task to do. I will come and meet you in this and we'll talk. And it's just, oh man, it it, it was pretty huge to me. So yeah, that's that, that would be my answer to your question. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a really lovely scene. And, and, <laughs> and, to to circle back on the mystery thriller aspect of the film uh, track of it, it starts with a pretty incredible acting moment from Brendan Gleeson when yeah. he mm-hmm. turns real sharply, surprised yeah. and alarmed, yes. worried. Yes. This is it. It's yeah. a really great moment. No, it's 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 outstanding. What's, um, uh, what's so right for you, Reed? I wrote. There's one scene that I wrote, but then I also wrote like four exchanges of dialogue. I'm not going to cite all of them, but if I'm, if I'm going to pick what my, what is at my upper echelon, mm-hmm. it goes back to the relationship with, uh, him and Fiona. Mm-hmm. And it's something that he says to her when she's in the midst of her confession to him. Mm-hmm. And this film, I have cited this line to many people outside of the context of this film, because I believe it so deeply to my bone marrow he says to her at one point, very simply and directly, God is great. The limits of his mercy have not been set. And I, I find that so, in its simplicity, I find that so overwhelming. Uh, just that reality. God is great and the limits of his mercy have not been set. Um, well, and, and if I can, yeah. can I flavor that yeah. a little bit? Yeah. Because, yeah. because yes, that, that scene, the first time I watched it was the punch in the gut out of nowhere, because if I'd, I'm sure you've probably even quoted that scene in my press or that line in my presence before. And, and I just didn't anchor it to this film and so on and so forth. But her vulnerability, her anger in the confessional, yeah. 
Um, you know, uh, what about those left behind? Well, that's, I don't care about that. She doesn't say I don't care, but, but basically I am my own person. Mm. Um, but the, why he says that line to her is his own daughter says, had I succeeded in, in taking my life by suicide, would I have faced eternal damnation father? Yeah. Would I have committed a mortal sin? Yeah. Yeah. Committed a mortal sin. And, and, and you just, and you see theology meet truth and humanity, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. the academic response may be wrong. (laughs) Yeah. And instead we lean on what we do know, which is God is great and the limits of his mercy are not set. I think I've, Amen. And I, I think I've shared on pod, uh, there may not be another opportunity to share this and I didn't necessarily plan to, but, um, one of the things that I still cite, my father was a pastor for many years and he was an evangelist for many years before that. And one of the things that I've cited before as a really alarming and profound bit of wisdom on his part, I was too young. I don't even think I was there, but he had told the story before of how he had been asked to preach the funeral of a man who had you know, decided to stop living. And so then when he was preaching that suicide funeral, somewhere towards the end, the man's daughter came up to my father and asked rather pointedly, like, where is my dad? And the weight behind the question was you sure. know, hard to hard to ignore. Like, where is my dad? And my father, a minister for many, many years, had a multitude of choices to you know for how to respond to that um but how he responded i i find so incredibly powerful and it's on the same lines as as the line from calvary but when this woman asked where is my father my dad said back to her he's in the hands of a loving and a merciful god who understands and knows all things mm-hmm. and and i just mm, like got a little choke in my throat even thinking about that like that that is the truth that right. is the truth. Whatever right. we want right, right. to, whatever we want to philosophize about all of the things, that is the truth of it. And um, so, yeah, I would cite as that so right uh, from Calvary: God is great, and the limits of His mercy have not been set. Um, do you have any more you want to do? No, no. I, I, my the the two for my that so right was the the scene on the cliff with the two of them, and then the confessional. Yeah, um, um, we have a lot more to talk about with this film. So go ahead, yep. uh, Andrew, and take us back out. Hey, hey, Reed. Yeah, I got a fun. I got a fun creative exercise for you. Is there? Was, is there something really, fun? <laughs> I was really thinking about this movie a lot, and I've got kind of two questions. One light that maybe kicks us or opens the gate for depth. Cool. And one that has just really been really on my spirit. But the first one is: Do you? As an this isn't the question. As an asterisk here. Remind me, having seen this half a dozen times plus, when Fiona is describing the gentleman who created some sort of book of suicides from history, is she referring to a real person? I can't remember. Is she referring to she, she suffered some some kind of boyfriend abuse, right? Am I, uh, am I misreading that? No, but I don't know the answer to the question of whether it's okay. based in history or sure, not. Sure, but so, so ignore, that's a bit ignore, of pre- ignore that question. That side of the question then oh okay you get the impression it's some relational trauma that led to her choice 
Yes, I did. Okay, I, that's right. what I think. Yes, that it's it's basically okay. a, a toxic relationship she was in that that fueled that. Yes, and or a history of them. Yes, yes, um, exactly. Well, that that actually buoys this question a little more because because you know Marvel just did What If on Disney Plus, oh, and yes. so this is kind of a What If question, Reed. Of like, oh, oh boy, again, let your creative brain take hold here. What if the film Calvary is Fiona's experience post succeeding? Wow, that like her memory <laughs> of it. So her no. memory of it is, or, or that? No, it's not her memory. Think, think, um, think sideways. Lost. Uh, this is Fiona. Oh, wow. Succeeds, and then and she is, go, wow. is in a in a Dang. state of self reconciliation with her father, mm, herself. Wow. Think about those conversations that are sure. happening. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. think about how the film ends yeah and it's this mm-hmm. because because that's its own question is what's next but i think sure right and again yeah. it's just a fun exercise and the sure. more i pondered wow. it the more kind of exciting it is to me i'm like that's yeah, really sure this kind of lovely because because you aren't wrong and has been said there is a um do you know the phrase dumb show mm, not okay, dumb dumb show is a theatrical word uh like a play there is a oh. a dumb show I, I didn't want to say it and then someone hear it and be like oh you're calling these people stupid that's not what i'm saying it's mm. a technical term the dumb show there is a dumb show happening in this town of a bunch of two-dimensional characters mm. Mm. Uh, e- expressing extreme cynicism and regret yes. and okay. anger yeah. and all these mm. sorts of things and so it's like this fun mental exercise of fiona's exorcising her journey her, through yeah, that yeah yeah i don't mm. know it's just really the more I pondered that today, the more I'm like, oh, that's really kind of cool to think about. Yeah, that is a pretty fascinating read on the film. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm, fascinating read. Uh, no, yeah. On this film? <laughs> <laughs> Just period. Yeah. Well, yeah, let, me, let, yeah. Me ask, let me ask my other question because sure. I, I know you've got a lot you want to get to and, and or maybe don't, uh, but. No, um, I have like nine questions. I'll probably ask one of them. Okay. So, yeah. okay. <laughs> so, you know, we are encouraged and asked and, and probably don't think twice about father james being the protagonist of this story yeah but there's something that that really rang out to me uh as a thematic through line that culminates in his final lines um that there's no world where jack is there's there's no world there's no scenario where jack can be painted as having done a quote-unquote right thing at the end Um, right right and admittedly when i say i have another question for you i don't actually have this question written down so i'm finding my way to the words Mm, mm, mm. but jack says did you cry over your dog yes i did Mm -hmm. and what about all these stories all this trauma did you cry over that and james pauses did you father and he says no and he says i can't remember the exact sequence if he shoots him then or you know i know the final kill shot is not then but yeah that's james starts talking james starts talking and gets interrupted by a gunshot so here's here is the question what if Jack was less wrong than we need him to be 
and James is less right than we want him to be. And Hmm. so it turns out I did have it written down and just forgot, but because the final thing James gets to say is I was detached like something you read in the newspaper. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what I've been really challenged by that this week, and I, 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 I don't want to render an unfair verdict on humans in their individual capacity to carry the weight of the world. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And yet like Jack's not wrong for pointing out this, this dissonance, this, you, you will weep for your personal loss. Why will you not weep for the trauma of, of this bigger loss? And, yeah, and, right. and, and so that's what, what is interesting. If you watch the film and listen, read, For the word or the implication of the word detachment, it's everywhere. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He says it to the other priest. He says to the other priest, the scene when the fire is taking the church, he says, Mm -hmm. he says, why didn't anybody see? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why didn't anybody see? Why are, what, what? Mm -hmm. Fitzgerald uses the word detachment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's fascinating is James then says, okay, of this detachment, where does it come from? Do you remember what Fitzgerald says? From nowhere. From nowhere. Mm-hmm. And and I just think there's this really incredible thing that that I'm observing in this text. That, because I know you would vouch for this as well, like each scene of this movie is one of these characters taking, like, like you can almost physically watch them do it of this <laughs> mountain of dung that has accrued in their lives and in the lives of their peers and forebears and family that they now carry and placing it on James. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like there is this, where does this come from? Where does this come from? Nowhere. It comes from nowhere. Why are we all detached? They're all so cynical. Yeah, and, right. and, and I don't know, I, by no means like, like, Gleason's amazing. Uh, this character is, is pretty incredible. And yet I do think there's this interesting conversation that could be had. And and I don't know if here's the place to have it, but it, it really just rang out to me. Like mm-hmm. we are not meant to, mm, we're not meant to too readily judge Jack at the end because the, the accusation he is leveling has mm-hmm. merit. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. Um, And I think part of where there is... The the language that I'm going to challenge is is, is merely the language of more right and less right. That's the only piece of it, because I don't think it's about being correct. I don't think that the moment or the weight of the moment is about being correct. Is Jack right to say... Hey, you you never care about things if it doesn't personally affect you. Yeah, he's he's right to call that out, especially for someone who is intending to be a, you know, a shepherd of a broader flock. Sure. Like, you know, he's absolutely right to call that out. You know, but but I think Jack has made this other distinction. Here's where I would push against Jack's choice is Jack is killing Father James because he's done nothing wrong. 
He said that in the very beginning. You've sure, done nothing. Sure. I'm I'm killing you because you've done nothing wrong. And he's killing him because he is innocent of the other. This that moment, how I read that moment is that is Jack's excuse to pull the trigger. Is when he I don't think Jack can do it. I don't think Jack wants to do it. I think there's a part of him that doesn't want to go through with it. But he hears that reality and suddenly now he has an excuse because if you'll if you'll remember after he fires that initial bullet he is really taken aback by the fact that father james won't stop looking at him don't look mm-hmm. at me sure don't look yep. at me you know like he can't do it as long as he's killing father james and i think that one thing that i would maybe it's a nuance maybe it's a pushback i'm not quite sure but a a, a, a an alternative take on that moment is not so much about did father should father james have been more emotionally invested in things he could tangibly do nothing about and i'm not saying that to be dismissive of it like no, he, he he couldn't he couldn't stop all of that from happening there's nothing physically in his power that he could have done when jack when that was happening to jack he wasn't even a priest so yes. there's nothing there's nothing he could have done about that and so just to finish my thought because i know you have a yep. response um so is it that like i i feel like should he have borne the weight of things he could physically do nothing about or is it more that jack is in his anger and in his pain killing the only path that he has to to maybe find a way out of it you know a, a, a as he says a cynicism that's been hard won by sure. many yep. years of torture. Yeah, yeah. You know, but and he says, "Okay." James responds, "Okay, but cynicism nonetheless." Yes. And yes. and and I think that's true of of what's happening. Yes, and I I want us to have this conversation because it's fun and this is the point of our show. Um yeah. I do think it's important to note what I wasn't saying is uh it's appropriate for Jack to have somehow expected or, or whatever James to have intervened. You know, what, what did you do? What can you do? The question Jack asks him is, did you cry? Mm-hmm. Did you, did you cry? Did you, did the weight of these things move you because yeah. of their awfulness and weight? And and I do think there's something interesting that happens throughout the movie and in the, in the features behind the scenes stuff, there's a reference. They talk about the widow yeah, and how she is this almost supernatural presence. She is the mm-hmm. one who tethers James to a new rightness, a a centering, yes. perhaps. And yeah. and so all I'm saying is there are times in the movie where characters level the charge, and James says, "But that's not me." Mm-hmm. And again, it's true he isn't a an active perpetrator or participant. Right. But I think it's an, it's an interesting rhythm that happens where, because Jack is absolutely not the only one, multiple people like this movie is very real world conscious. <laughs> oh, very <laughs> you know? much so. Yeah, and, very much so. And that comes up multiple times. And, and so perhaps the question behind the question that I, that is a bit too didactic and, and too kind of lofty, I think, for my personal interest in the moment is, is where does our responsibility end and begin? Uh, right, you know, right. but I do think it's a powerful 
it's a telling moment that what he asks isn't how responsible or not are you? What he says is when you found out, did you cry? And I think that's just really interesting to me because I'm with you. Like there's nothing, there's nothing right about the murder Jack perpetrates, but it's an interesting proposition that he sets forth, which isn't, uh, I'm going to kill you because you're innocent at the beginning. It's now come to, okay, (laughs) you are innocent of these things in a, in a tangible, you, James, aren't personally responsible, but do you feel some sense of loss, grief, perhaps responsibility in light of these things because of, anyway, I don't know. It just, it just really sung out. It sung out to me this idea of detachment and this idea that that is the final moment those two have which is did you cry over these things no yeah yeah you know no i i don't disagree it's funny i don't know if it'll come up on the screen but like what role does detachment play in uh, yeah yeah. but just this this one right here i just wanted to let you know like i wrote in my notes what role does detachment play in our ability to provide helpful good to the hurting around us um because he says early on to the other priest he says you have to detach yourself from it because you're here to provide solace and I do think there is a, there are. You have no integrity. That's possibly <laughs> the worst thing I could say to a person. Yes, <laughs> I mean, that yes, is such a great so, scene. So what great. I love is that scene is in him trying to apologize for the night before. <laughs> it's exactly, exactly. It's like, I'm sorry I said all those things. I wasn't thinking straight, but you have no integrity. <laughs> yeah, it's like, now I'm thinking straight and you have no integrity. Because digging on that for a minute. I think there is a difference between being in the pit with someone and holding their hand through the darkness and trying to be up on the ledge, extending a hand to pull them out of it. I think those are two different ways to help. And I think one of the things that is important, but I would call it unfair about needing to feel, needing to bear the burden or even to be to be moved. I, you know what I've said a lot of times for many different things. When I read about a certain thing, the way that I've phrased it, I'm sure I wasn't the first person to use this phrase, but I've said, I don't have a grid for that. I can't fathom that. So when you're talking about particular degrees of violence, talking about particular degrees of abuse, talking about even certain desires that people have to do things that are negligibly moral, negligibly ethical, negligibly good, like the grid that people have, or you know, the 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 fascination people have or the impulses that people have, I will say sometimes like I don't have a grid for it. And if I can't fathom it, I can't emotionally be moved by it. I can be stunned, I can be shocked, I can be upended, but when I hear, I'll be honest for myself, when I hear the perpetual ongoing reports of abuse, one of the reasons that I don't often cry is not because I'm not moved by it, but it's because the first move is a kind of stunt, like you just punch me in the face. Like I'm, sure. I'm, I'm stunned. I don't have the emotional gravity of knowing, knowing and understanding what has been lost. I don't have that emotional gravity. And so one of the things that I would say sincerely to Jack before he shot me, 
would be that <laughs> would would be I loved my dog. <laughs> I mean, there there is a certain degree to where you have to say like it's a different kind of pain. Like if you're asking me did it move me, it's a different kind of pain. I did I didn't cry. But like it's a different kind of like it's a stunned disillusionment. It's a stunned sort of I didn't you know, I didn't know and I didn't realize. And and I think to 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 get to the question of like detachment i think it's important to recognize that not everything should elicit the same response from everybody and some things there are going to be ways in which we might be moved with compassion and moved with tears there will be other ways where we're going to be moved with fury and and provoked to action there are going to be other things where we're going to be moved because we are so stunned that the world is like this and that this is happening and we're going to sit with our own version of trauma that our understanding or illusion about what things used to be have now been shattered. Um, and, and so that's part of my the problem that I have with Jack taking umbrage is not that I don't disagree you know, so the, so the, uh, to be really clear, there's two things happening. The did it move you question is a good question to ask. I don't think that's what Jack's asking, but that may be irrelevant to the point you're making because I think the did it move you question is a valid and good one and something that we should all learn from. I think Jack's at least momentary reaction to the fact that it wasn't tears is reductive and is a bit uh, missing the point and missing the possibilities of what could have come from that. It's a bit intellectualizing the moment, but it, mm-hmm. it, but that's what I'm that's what I'm responding to is the fact of him just like because he tried he, he tried to talk he tried to express his feeling he's telling the truth and uh, Father James is he's he's trying to talk he's trying to tell the truth of the matter but uh, but but it's just James is James is wrong like the way you phrase your question like James is wrong I I I am not convinced that even in his indictment of you were unmoved by this, I feel that he is still wrong. You're and saying I know, Jack is wrong. You're, you mean Jack. So, sorry. You're I saying said, James. I'm saying okay. James. I didn't mean to. Yes. My apologies. I mean, Jack is wrong. He is he is well, wrong beyond just wrong to make the choice he does. I do think he's wrong. And see, that's, that is interesting. I No one should shoot another person to <laughs> unto <laughs> right, their death. Right, so, so absolutely, I'm not arguing that. But what I hear in the question and can't so simply state the asking of it may be erroneous is where is the one who will grieve what I have lost? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where is the one who will in this in this spirit of detachment? Where is the one who can attach me again, who can be attached to me that I can attach to? Where is the one who will grieve? for what I have lost and oh, by the way, these mountains of others. Now, how I started this whole line of questioning was also to say there is no sense and no way in which a singular individual can supernaturally grieve. No individual in our current world can, can supernaturally grieve that level of loss. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, But in that moment, in this, encounter that's happening because here's now here's an interesting question what if james had responded differently i do think there's a different outcome for him right there not and i don't mean Mm. what if he had lied as in like lied to save himself i don't mean that as in what if 
And this is this is yeah. the beauty of this film. It's interpretive power. It's richness of sort of ethical, moral, emotional, psychological, spiritual sort of truths or, or, you know, kind of through lines. I do think there's a world where there, there was an answer that would have a, a true answer, a truthful answer that might have shifted Jack's choice. It's, it's more just kind of interesting. Well, yeah, to sure. Think sure. But yeah. what, what I would say to that is I think all it would have done is delayed Jack and Jack would have found something else because he says at the very beginning, you don't have to go through with this. And Jack says, or he said, just because I've shown up doesn't mean you have to go through with it. And Jack says, yes, it does. Yes, it does. And he says that before they've, you know, had this other exchange. So yes, I don't disagree with you. Had he respond, had James responded differently, it would have, it might've delayed the moment. I think Jack just would have found something else because Jack came there to kill him. He did. But, but, but you're that so right is the scene of the character whose life has been defined by lying mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and 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 selfishness and greed who does change. I think there is again, it's it's the reason the movie ends the way it ends, which is what's the brand? We, we see the fork in the road. And mm-hmm. I do think there's a chance that in the fantastical sort of scenario we're talking about here where Jack could have been turned away from this course of action, even by James, um, not, Maybe. not the yeah. James, not the James that is at the end of the film, but the James that could figure out an answer. Right. And this is right. all a long winded way of saying, actually, I love the character of James. I'm not impugning him. It's just fun to think about what that scene props up from, a from an emotional exercise to, to parse out the pieces. But, but I think yeah. it's, I think it is important to recognize that like the distinction between Fitzgerald and Jack and the change that happens there is Fitzgerald is looking for help. Jack's looking for a victim. And I think that's important because Jack is not looking for help in that moment. He's very, right. he's very forward in what he has come to do. And I think the reason why Fitzgerald is so taken aback by James's tenderness is because Fitzgerald has finally reached a point to where he wants to get better. I think the fact is that Jack is too angry yet to want to get better. And sure. I think in in general people have to reach the place to where they want to get better first before anything would do anything different. And so part of why and we can we can spend as much time as we need to here, but I, I do want to make it clear that one of the reasons I'm disagreeing with you is because I don't think James could have done anything different because I don't think Jack wants to get better in that moment. I think he wants to unleash vengeance, and I think he has honed in on James to do so. And if I had more of a sense from the moment that Jack is asking for help or wants help, then I would probably be much more agreeing with you that, yeah, no, J- Jack's reaching out a hand. I think in that moment, Jack is looking to unleash vengeance upon someone or something. He even says, he says, I got to say, I'm surprised. I thought I was going to have to come looking for you. And, right. and, and I do believe that had James not showed up on the beach, Jack would have tried or might have, maybe worse to think about, found someone else to, to take out. Um, and yes. I think and, that's, and, and- yeah. And I think, and I'll leave, I'll, we can, I want you to get to your mountain of questions too, because <laughs> I don't want you to feel like Nathan you just dominated with your crazy exercise. Um, I think, I think it's not Jack's anger that seals James fate. 
my read currently is you. <laughs> uh, my take currently on the film at the film's end is the answer no to Jack's question is what finally seals um, James's fate. However, hmm. to your point, the the arc of Jan- the arc of Fitzgerald, I think there's a very strong chance that's where the final scene is and is launching us into for Jack is someone forget now that's its own question what do you think fiona's about to say to him to me it's it's because of the final phone call she has with james it's an eye for you um and i think that is is jack's fitzgerald moment about to happen to me i agree with you there no i agree i agree with you that fiona's and see this is why i think there was no way james wasn't going to die is because until he could transact vengeance he couldn't find a place in himself to where he'd be willing to help. I think it's huge that when she sits down in front of him in front of the plexiglass that he picks up the phone. I think that's huge. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I and I do think that is meant to signal to us that he's going to have a conversation and that maybe there is a path forward because forgiveness has been wildly underrated. I think that's a line from the film if people don't know why I said that. Um I do think that Fiona has the opportunity that he never gave James. And so that's that's my take on the film yes. is I think I think Fiona has the opportunity that James never had because I think Jack had to purge himself not validating this as an authentic way to navigate sure. the world, but I think psychologically he had to purge himself. He had to he had to destroy something right. before he could even reach a place to where he would hear help, to where anything could happen differently for him. And the church didn't do it. He burned the church down, and that didn't do it for him. So, so he had to kill James, and I think that's why he can't look at him. <laughs> and and the, not the dog. That's right. Um, do you know who killed the dog? I'm sure you've probably seen the stuff, so you know who killed the dog, right? Oh no, uh-uh. I didn't. Is that oh. answered in text? It's not answered in text, but it is oh, okay, answered. Then no. Uh, uh-uh. So, um, so, well, so tell me. We'll, oh, okay. So, <laughs> um, unless you're gonna come back to it, which is fine. Well, okay, let me finish this thought. So, um, sure, yeah. So that basically, like, when Jack shows up in that moment, I know it gets so silly when you and I are both trying very hard to make a point, and then we spend twenty minutes trying to make our respective points. But, but the reason that I disagree that James could have gotten out of that alive is because Jack, when he says, "I don't think the no," so just we have alternate takes on it. My take is not that the no seals James's fate. My take is that. Anything James would have said in that moment might have delayed it, but it wouldn't have stopped it because Jack had decided for a week that he was going to do this. And he told him a week ago that he was going to do this. And I feel like the detachment was merely an excuse. And the reason I think nothing could have changed his fate is Jack's insistence that James not look at him. He knows James is innocent. And if James had answered differently to that detachment, I think Jack would have felt justified more justified um like in other words if it was merely a matter of he needs an excuse to kill him and this was the excuse and james could have said anything differently i think he wouldn't have been bothered by looking at james i think he would have looked him right in the eye and killed him because you didn't cry when all these people were dead but he can't look at him because i think he knows that what he's doing is something james does not deserve that's and, that's and my that's why no, my take is and thus is, but, is the beauty of art exactly exactly um Um, but um no no no, like to like to 
to kind of uh, you know bring things back up and maybe you know sort of I don't know I don't know where we'll go from here, but um, to answer the question about who killed the dog, the only evidence in the film of who killed the dog is that there is a scene in the like sort of montage after James is killed of mm-hmm. somebody with a bandage on their hand, and the director said at a Q and A screening, he said definitively, he said, "Well, I'm not going to tell you who killed the dog, but the dog bit." the person as they were trying to kill it. And so the person with the bandage on their hand is the bartender. That's mm. that's Brandon. And so yes, uh, Brendan is the character's name. And so uh, that is, and then I, I looked a couple of things up to verify that the director had so definitively clarified it. And yes, so the, the bartender killed the dog uh, just to, huh. to be direct. What a jerk. I know he's such a, he's such a all jerk. Right. Now um, read lackey. This is like one of your top 10 films of all time. So, uh, my flights of fancy that, that, uh, uh, inadvertently dominated some time here. I, come at me. No, not come at me in a confrontational way, but what's on your mind? What's on your heart? What's, what God, is, I mean, stirring you from this film that you want mm-hmm. to, this is your chance. This is your walk the line moment. <laughs> no, I mean, there's, I mean, sincerely, there's, there's really too much to get to everything. One thing I will say as a pitch for people to watch the film is this is the kind of film that you could, segment out virtually every five minute portion of it like every little five minute piece you could trim out and you could write a thesis about that whether it's the atheistic doctor whether it's the um you know the the woman who continues to pursue abusive relationships because of her own self-value or lack thereof anything that you know all of these different characters the writer who you know doesn't even know if he's if he's worth anything you know, like, and, and, but yet he, I mean, he's popular. He has a fan base. Um, so there's all of these different characters that you could parse out and you could just, you know, uh, exhume a section of it and just have a whole conversation about that piece, which makes it really, really difficult. But I think one thing, maybe in the interests of winding us down, um, that, that I do find on this is, you know, one of my favorite moments, it was on the short list for, that's so right of just, um, you know, he says, we talk a lot about sins and not enough about virtues. And so my question to you, which I'll answer if you need a moment to think about it, but my, one of my, what, 25 questions that I could have asked, um, (laughs) is, um, the line that father James says is, uh, he says, you know, we talk a lot about sins and not enough about virtues. And she said, what would be your favorite? And he says, I think forgiveness has been very underrated, has been highly underrated. So my question to you is besides forgiveness, oh my goodness. what is another underrated virtue besides <laughs> forgiveness? Cause he cites forgiveness. So besides forgiveness, what is another? And again, I, I'm offering that I will answer if you need a moment to think about it. But, Absolutely. I do. <laughs> so my answer to the question, which could, you know, catch me on a different day and maybe I would say something different, but, the, but what keeps coming up to my, uh, mind and maybe this does pivot back to the little you know the debate we had about is James's fate sealed from go or not I think compassion is highly underrated compassion in the sense of you know parsing out the definition of the word and the pieces of the word suffering with you know um, mm. and um, I think compassion is dreadfully underrated because I don't think we do enough work as people to understand and step inside the suffering of other people. We talk about that detachment there, and I, I, I truly don't think that whatever 
alternatives or quibbles you and I might have about reading that final Jack moment, uh, you know, together, I do agree that the problem with detachment is it does not allow us to step inside of another person's suffering and understand, to step inside of another person's understanding and uh, or suffering and seek to reconcile. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't permit us if we're not willing to be compassionate and compassion is not the same thing as sympathy you can pity someone and you can pity their situation and not have compassion for them you know and, th- and that's a, that's a line that the scriptures say a lot that even right before jesus would heal someone they would say you know he had compassion on them and uh and i feel like when you are able to step inside of someone else's suffering then um, that is a virtue that we do not work hard enough to cultivate and that we have calloused ourselves and calloused our hearts to, um, to where we are far too frequently ready to intellectualize a thing or ready to, you know, provide a rote, simplistic, oversimplified answer to a thing instead of stepping inside someone's suffering and, and, and experiencing it with them and experiencing that death with them, which I will say before I pause and let you answer, which I think is part, uh, the, one of the biggest things that James chooses to do. Like, the film is called Calvary. He's going to face this potentially ultimate destruction. He chooses to step inside this suffering, um, and he chooses to, to, to face it and to meet it with everything that he has to offer, which may not be enough, um, but he chooses to face it and to meet it, and that's what a good shepherd and certainly what I believe and you believe the Good Shepherd does is step inside of our suffering and meet us there in it. So compassion has been also very highly underrated. How might you mm. answer the question? Well, after um, I Googled a list of virtues because I was unprepared <laughs> for that question, and I was like, oh, nuts. Um, I didn't have, a, didn't have a grid for that, in, in, off the cuff at least. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, as I kind of scan a couple of lists here. I think for me not to continue the drum, perhaps our TV guideposts beats over and over is, is kindness. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I think something that did ignoring my sort of fun or what I would consider kind of fun, you know, creative exercises of, of pondering different angles on this film. I do think something that's really beautiful to me in it, is just, I would, um, interchange the word kindness with tenderness, you know, uh, just the, the, the kindness, the tenderness James shows to kind of each individual character, yeah, um, the, yeah. the, the being present with, um, I think, I do think kindness is highly underrated. I think our, our swiftness to cynicism is, uh, disheartening. Um, I texted at least you recently after a, a recent social event where the question of voting rights came up and, and mm-hmm. it was a very, mm-hmm. it was, it was, it was just a, I can often in this particular setting feel very, uh, like the fly in the ointment and don't really want to be, but at the same time, try to hold my kindness as it were hold on to my kindness and not to get too in the weeds, but it was like, Oh, should, should voter IDs be required for people to vote? And I was contending that, um, this was perhaps an overreach and, and, uh, that it, that it ignored the very real 
difficulties that most folks who aren't um, middle and upper middle class deal with. Mm. And, mm. and, and the takeaway simply in this kindness thread is like, it was so hard to feel like, and what I wanted so much to be is just like, Hey, why, why, why is kindness? Why is comprehension? Why is tenderness towards those who are utterly and totally not like you? Why, why, why is the prism so off? You know, why is it so hard to, to step out of Fitzgerald <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and find, or rather step out of main movie Fitzgerald and find tail end of the movie Fitzgerald, like this, this right, vulnerability, right. this kindness, this willingness to reach out and, and exercise tenderness towards another, another person. So, so yeah, I would say absolutely. Kindness is a virtue that is highly underrated uh, yeah. in our society. And I think one of the things that I do love about the film is I think part of what makes Father James a good priest, you talk about the kindness, and I think that part of what makes him such a great priest is that he is not bound to the typical, I'll call it typical, but I think there's very much a rote nature to the way priests respond to different things. There's almost this joking moment where the woman, the uh, I'll call her the adulteress. That's not meant to be a, a defamatory thing sure, to the character. Yeah. That's kind of how her type, archetype is archetype, identified. Yeah. Yes, um, but she comes to you know, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. And he, I mean, he he pretty lightheartedly is like, okay, say five Hail Marys, and you know, say you know, and and so he just throws it out there. He, but they both know in the moment that it is a passive exchange. It is not like he never meets somebody's pain with the typical line from the church. He it, it, Nowhere in the film does he ever meet anybody with anything other than real, hard-earned. Like, I love so much, a couple of moments that I would point out. I love so much when he challenges people but does not use theology to do it. When um, Freddie Joyce, if I'm, I think mm-hmm. that's his name. But when Freddie Joyce says, you know, you 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 kill this person and you become God, and he's just like, no, you don't. Oh, that's great. No, you don't. That delivery is amazing. Yeah. Oh, it's so wonderful. And then doesn't, it is a site chapter and verse. He doesn't need to. No, you don't. No, you don't. And then I love, too, in the scene where Fiona is confessing, and then she says, you know, I belong to me. I don't belong to anybody else. And he says, true. And then he waits for a second and says, False. Mm-hmm. And that's a great, yeah, yeah. And it's just, there's so much in the movie. I, I heard it's, I, I can't take credit for this observation because this was something that was mentioned in one of the, the bonus features on the film. Um, but they said he stands in the middle with a broken institution, the broken church on one yeah. shoulder and yeah. a broken world on the other. And yeah. he's trying very hard to do some good in the middle of it. And, I love so, so much that he is not beholden. Like, he, see, he sees the people for as they are, and he's willing to call them out for, for what they are. I love another moment. God, another moment is when um, Jack, earlier in the film, is like joking with him, and he's like, I have my doubts or whatever, and then he just walks away. He's just like, I'm, I'm not going to give you any more of my attention or time. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't engage. He doesn't take the bait. He just walks away. But then one of my favorite things is when um, the doctor comes to him and tells that horrific story mm-hmm. about yeah. the person who was, you know, the, the, yeah. the blind and mute and everything like that. And I love that the father was just like, what the F? 
Like, why in the world would you tell me a story like that? Like, challenges him and calls him out on that. And then Bayless tries to karate chop him. Man, that was so funny. Um, But I think that one of the things this film has a really good handle on is that in order to do some, some strong, I'll call it pastoral work, some ministry work, serving of others, like... It's not a recipe. It's not a formula. You have to see them. He asks he asks people more than once in the film, are you okay? Do you mm-hmm. need anything? Are you okay? And I think one of the reasons why he is such a good shepherd, such a good pastor, such a good priest is because he is not using the the playbook as it were. He is mm-hmm. among the people and he is with them, and he is seeing them, and he is truthful with them. He brings his full self to bear for them, culminating in that extremely powerful line at the end. It's the final spoken line of dialogue in the movie. It's when Jack says, say your prayers, Father. And he just simply says, I've already said them. Mm. Like, it's just such a, he lives and breathes this. This is, he is an embodiment of, all of these things to these people. And he's not perfect. He's, I, I love the fact that he's not perfect, but he is good. And, and he's, he's a good person. And it is so heartbreaking when he is lost to them because then you see person after person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, you, and, and we're left to think whatever we will think about all of them. But you see each and every one of the people, some of whom, you know, James had interacted with earlier and some of whom he was planning to interact with, or maybe there was something on the, on the um, other end of this day that would have continued on. But now he's, now he's just gone. Now he's just absent from it. And I think it's really, really powerful and very affecting that to think about if we are going to do any version of good in the world, like if we are going to attach instead of detach, then we have to bring our whole selves to bear to the moment. And I think, it hap- I think it happens person by person. I think it happens connection by connection. He's not interested in growing or exploding out the church. He's not interested in no. like, oh, I'm going to be this big thing. He, no, he's just interested in, are the people who are in my nexus, like, are they okay? And am I able to talk to them and have a real conversation? And if, if I'm not, then I'm going to move on. And if I am, then I'm going to try to do some good where I can do it. And I find that really affecting and very, very powerful. Um, And uh, if you have not seen this film, I think this film is, I mean, just almost essential viewing for anybody with a faithful mindset, a faithful framework. Like it is, it is deeply moving. It is deeply affecting. It is somehow grapples directly with cynicism and yet is not cynical like it it grapples directly with some of the most cynical things any i've ever heard in spoken in any film but uh but it still manages somehow to provide hope and inspiration and uplift and uh it's very yeah it's a wonderful wonderful movie you you keep using the word appropriately so good and, and something that just really moves me that i think is um, an expression of perhaps a faithful spirit and mindset and, and view of all things is that, you know, something this movie is really good at is displaying that all the good you attempt 
this world will still very much attempt to devour you whole mm-hmm. um, and and buffet you and 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 bully you and and beat you and maybe kill you, and yet that the doing of good is always going to bear some fruit. Yeah, and thus, yeah. like like one of the most just terrible scenes to me is and and really sad. Uh, but just in enlisting elements of that is is him talking to the young girl along the path, mm. kind of how mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. how that culminates, and it's just really heartbreaking. And 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 you're just reminded once more how hard it is to just attempt to operate in the world as someone mm-hmm. putting mm-hmm. good into it, uh, because yeah. our cynicism, our judgmentalism, our our disbelief. Uh, yeah, you know, our, our kind of unwillingness to to hope for better means yeah. we end up settling for worse. Um, one of the yeah, one of the things I I would have asked I I'm actively don't you know don't want to really go here, but um, that like you know how much do we bear the burdens of our associations, and sure. and how much how much do we really owe restitution for the things with which we're so directly associated? Um, and I think that is a that's a that's an easy question, Reed. <laughs> right it is uh you know it it is it's very it's very very challenging because some might say like well you know he could do just as much good and not be a priest i don't know that he believes that and i don't know sure. that i believe yeah. that you know it's like yeah there's a lot of priests who have done a terrible amount of things um i find it it's it, this is in the behind the scenes features as well but uh the character of jack uh played by chris o'dowd chris o'dowd says in the movie or in the in the behind the scenes thing he said uh That's this great. has not been yeah. my experience with priests my experience with priests has been very positive um and and i do think it's important that we not we've said this many times on the show before that we not monolith a people group that we not monolith a a particular association and say like well they're all like this you know or or well they're all doing this uh when in point of fact like there's some tremendously broken groups some tremendously broken structures and systems but operating within that there may be more people than we suspect who are just simply trying to do something good and we would be in error to too quickly dismiss their efforts at good because of their associations i think um yeah yeah. well and i love to perhaps tie it off you know if if the conversation about the execution of doing good in the world is exemplified by, you know, the the very thin line being walked in this world, lest one teeter off it. I love the opening quote from St. Augustine, and it says, Do not despair. One of the thieves was saved. Do not presume. One of the thieves was damned. Mm. <laughs> oh, God. Mm. And mm. yes, there it is. You know, <laughs> it is yeah, it is equal absolutely. equal and both. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Can you believe we covered? Calvary I love this God? movie. I love this movie so much. I love this movie so much. Uh, I would, I would have twenty five thousand more conversations about this <laughs> film. Um, and so, listeners, uh, I'm going to skip to the recommendation part before we go to the fog meter and like see this film. Please see this film, and even more so than that, once you see it, if you've never seen it before, or even if you've seen it before, come and talk to us about it because, man, I love this movie so much. Well, and, and there's to so your much point to earlier. Once you know, you it merits rewatching it to pay yes, to pay attention absolutely. to how these characters are interacting with each other. No, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so yes, uh, we can go to the fog meter in this per- unique 
what saves us temporary measure, uh, the fun of God. Um, so where we uh, take a look at uh, fun uh, being, you know, how we characterize certain aspects of the film uh, and its craftsmanship and watching it and then its substance in the God meter. Nathan, Calvary, written and directed by John Michael McDonough. What would you give it on the fun measurement? In most traditional forms of fun, it, it would definitely be low. However, <laughs> it's got a pretty impressively... Uh, uh, it's funny. It's, it is darkly it has a wry sense of humor. And, yeah. Yes, very yeah. wry sense of humor. Um, thank you for that help there, friend. Um, <laughs> so, yes, very, very darkly comic. Uh, but even that notwithstanding how I have uh, a few times, the, the grid I have appropriated for fun in, in the conversations we've been having is about affection, enjoyment, appreciation based on certain factors. And in this case, it's <laughs> I am not making this up. Uh watching it the first time this week by myself when they're on the cliff i was like where was this shot and i wrote down a note where to travel sligo County. <laughs> i mean really like it's beautiful yeah. Yeah. It's uh, so yeah. so it's it's beautifully shot um it's excellently um delivered uh the score is just mesmerizing um so no i mean i think i think knocking it just because of how little it meets the traditional definition of fun i think i'm gonna land at a seven perhaps Okay. Um, I'm going to cheat because this is a film that I've enjoyed so much, though I would admit it's heavy, though I would admit it's weepy, though I would try to put some expectation setting around someone. It's a 10 for me. I think I love so, so much everything about this film in the way that it can be the thoughts it makes me think and the things it makes me wrestle with um, are genuinely fun for me. And I enjoy watching it. It is not a hard movie for me to watch. So while its subject matter is heavy, it is not hard for me to watch this movie because there's these little moments where he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to see Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton's good, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's just, you know, like, <laughs> Oh, it's great, yeah. You know, like there's well, lots, you know. You'll love yeah. this when you said, it is heavy. I'm playing back in my head like I am I was swooning after the first viewing. And um, I was telling my wife, I was like, yeah, I, I really wish you would watch this one. I was like, listen, the very opening scene is a guy talking about how he was brutalized as a child and how he's going to kill the priest by the end of it in seven days. But, but, but you, can't, you can't really pay attention <laughs> to that part yet. You know, it's like, don't, know, don't, don't look I behind know. the curtain, you know? <laughs> I, know, I know. Just make it through it. Just make it through it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Oh, man. It's so, it's so, so good. But no, it's a 10 for me because I just, I, I, I love so much this movie. I have seen it six or seven times now. I am positive. Over the course of the next several years, I will see it at least half a dozen to a dozen more. I love it so much. Um, and uh, for me, I think the God meter for me is an unqualified 10. I mean, like, it, there, there's so much substance to this thing. It is absolutely amazing. Um, unqualified 10 for me. So, yeah, what would you give for the God maybe meter? A, maybe a two. I'm just kidding. Dude, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, there's no question. I mean... And thinking about our mission conversation a couple of weeks ago and that sort of like, well, it's a little complicated. Like there's very little complicated sort of feelings about how to, how to imbibe this right now. And, and yeah, it's a 10, it's a, it's a beautiful piece of work. Absolutely. And that means that we give the, we give Calvary by John Michael McDonough, um, a, it's technically a 9.25. So I'm just going to go ahead and go for it and give it a 10. (laughs) 
We'll round it. We'll, we'll round it fairly and round okay. it and round it to a nine out of ten on the on the fear of God on the fog meter. Um, and so, and I, th- you know, I already shared. I would highly recommend it. Would you yes. recommend people I watch Calvary? It. I think it, it's. It, uh, yeah, it is heavy, and there is a chance for someone who ran in Catholic circles that are you know close to this world. It could be triggering in some aspects, but uh, understood as, uh, that understood. notwithstanding. Yeah. Oh yeah, unquestionably. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so that puts this conversation about Calvary in the books, which I am very, very happy that uh, we finally got the chance to cover this film. Um, next week, we're going to be doing another What Saves Us entry, and uh, we're going to go somewhere dramatically different than Calvary. Um, it, it, we actually got a submission. Uh, well, first of all, before we leave that, I want to say a very special thank you to Caleb. Thank you so much, Caleb, for mm-hmm. submitting this film, for giving us the chance to watch it again, to ponder what many, many things it has on its mind, and uh, really, really greatly appreciate it, uh, man. Thank you again. Um, next week, we've got another What Saves Us entry, and we're going to, uh, you know, straight from Calvary and John Michael McDonough <laughs> to Quentin Tarantino. Uh, so so that next week, we are going to be talking about his most recent film, the ninth film, in air quotes, uh, by Quentin Tarantino, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Margot Robbie, and Brad Pitt, with a host of other people. Um, So acquaint yourself with that film if you have not yet seen it, and we will see you right back here for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, as we say on every episode. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. We'll see you next week, everybody. See you guys. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest episodes and news, as well as for merchandise and how to contact us. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God, on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music, and to Tyler Smith and MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Hi, everybody!